Several weeks ago, I was on my way to that most iconic of American places, Walmart. (laughs) You've been there. As I sat at a light, I watched someone decide they could make it. They couldn't. Suppose you saw an accident down in front of Walmart, 21st and Mays. It's not just a possibility, it's a likelihood if you go through there very often. And because of the accident, a lawsuit was filed. As an eyewitness, you were summoned to court. Folks, these things do happen. You were called into the courtroom. They brought you down front and they asked you if you would tell them the truth. The whole truth. Nothing but the truth. And of course you said, absolutely I will. They're not going to ask you to tell what you think happened. They're not going to ask you to tell them what you wish might have happened. They're going to ask you to tell them exactly what you saw take place. They want to know your experience exactly. No fluff, no supposition, no considerations of who might have done or what. No, just the facts. Do you realize that's what we as Christian witnesses are called to do? Just the facts. Just the facts. That's it. D.T. Niles has often been credited with framing the statement that's been used so often that evangelism is one beggar telling another beggar where to find bread. If you study the Gospels, Matthew, Mark, Luke, John, read them. Consider the life of Jesus. What you find is a man who shared what he knew simply by loving people, serving people, and then telling people how they could have life abundant and eternal. In the early days of the New Testament church, the, the people who followed Christ, his disciples, followed his method. They, they lived out his model. And I want us to see what that kind of looks like. And so if you brought a Bible this morning, I want to invite you to look with me in Acts chapter 2. Familiar verses. Familiar, familiar verses. I, I've preached out of them numerous times. I know that you've looked at them a number of times. You've had them in Sunday school. We've done it on Wednesday night. We've done it on Sunday morning. We've done it on Wednesday night. I mean, I have gone through this passage every imaginable way except this one. And so we're going to look at it together this morning, and I want us to see what's recorded about the early church and how they shared life together. Acts chapter 2. Find verse 42. 
That's where we're going to begin our reading. We're going to read through the end of this chapter. Once you've got that, if you can and will, I'm going to invite you to stand with me in honor of the reading of God's Word. Follow along with me, if you will. Acts chapter 2, beginning at verse 42, here's what Luke records. This is right after the day of Pentecost. This is right after Peter has preached and 3,000 people have been saved and added to the church. Here's what Luke records. They devoted themselves to the apostles' teaching and to the fellowship, to the breaking of bread and to prayer. Everyone was filled with awe. And many wonders and miraculous signs were done by the apostles. All the believers were together and had everything in common. Selling their possessions and goods, they gave to anyone as he had need. Every day, they continued to meet together in the temple courts. They broke bread in their homes and ate together with glad and sincere hearts, praising God and enjoying the favor of all the people. And the Lord added to their number daily those who were being saved. Hear the word of the Lord. Let's pray together. Father, we are so thankful today. That we can come into this place and open your word and allow you to simply speak to our hearts. Lord, I don't know everyone in this room. I don't know what their situations are. I don't know what they brought into this room, but you do. And I pray, Father, as we spend these moments together, that your word and your Holy Spirit would work in each heart, in each mind, in each life to bring about needed change, to bring about needed correction, to to convict us of our sin, to convince us of the Savior, to help us understand the importance of the body of Christ. And Father, I pray that when we leave this place, we would go out rejoicing that we are part of the kingdom of God, that we have been commissioned and commanded and sent on a mission. And I pray, Father, that we would go rejoicing because we know that we have met with you as we have met with your people. Now, Father, speak to our hearts. Teach us your truth. Call us to walk in it. This is our prayer, and we ask this in Jesus' name. And all God's people said, amen. Amen. You may be seated. I read these verses, and I'm just amazed. I mean, it's really simple. Fellowship, service, proclamation. That's what Jesus did. That's what they were doing. The early church followed the pattern they learned from their master. Their witness was revealed through the sweet fellowship that they shared, the generous service that they offered to those around them, and the faithful proclamation of the Word of God. The verses that we've just read record for us what life was like in the church in the days immediately following after Pentecost, when they had experienced the arrival of the Holy Spirit, the moving of the power of God. Listen, don't make any mistake about the early church. They understood the Great Commission. They understood that they had been commanded by the Lord to be on mission and to go make disciples wherever they went to. They knew they were on mission to share the good news of Jesus Christ. They had been told to go make disciples, to proclaim the gospel to every nation and to every living thing. But I want you to consider with me this morning, as we look at this experience out of the early church, what happens What happens when witnessing breaks out in the church? What happens when God's people get serious about doing God's work in the way that God has prescribed in order to reach the people that God wants to bring into his family? What happens? 
when witnessing breaks out in the church. And I, I know some people say, well, I'm not sure. I, I don't know what that looks like. Well, if that's the case, let me just share with you a few things, if I might. I want you to know, first off, just some, some things that you're going to see. When the church begins to be the church, when the church begins to do what God has called them, commissioned them, sent them to do, when the church starts to take the mission of the commission seriously, it changes the entire atmosphere of the church. And what are you talking about? When a church gets engaged in the process of sharing the gospel so that lives are being changed, there's going to be an experience of sweet fellowship. Sweet, warm fellowship. It's rich. It's full. People say, what in the world are you talking about? You got your Bible open? Don't, don't, don't close it. We're not going to leave this passage of Scripture, all right? I, I want you to look back with me at verses 42 through 44. I, let's, let's just take a look. We read it a moment ago, but I want to read it again because I want you to hear it. I want you to see it. I want you to understand what it's about. They devoted themselves to the apostles' teaching and to the fellowship, to the breaking of bread and to prayer. Everyone was filled with awe and many wonders and miraculous signs were done by the apostles. All the believers were together and had everything in common. Here's what I want you to hear. Fellowship... Real, genuine, authentic fellowship. I'm not talking about cookies and Kool-Aid, folks. I'm not talking about potluck. I'm talking about real, genuine, authentic fellowship among a people who share Christ in common creates a sense of community. These people shared together a common worship and learning experience. They devoted themselves to the apostles' teaching. They wanted to hear. These men who had been with Jesus every day for three years, they wanted to hear what they had to say. They wanted to learn what Jesus had done. They wanted to know where Jesus had been. They wanted to hear what Jesus had said. And so they were together. It was fellowship. And they, listen, they did. They broke bread together. These people actually ate together. They had meals together, and, and they saw everything that God was doing. They were filled with awe at the wonders and the signs that were being done by the apostles. And they reached a point, Luke says, they reached a point in their fellowship. They reached a point of love and trust where they came to a place that they didn't even consider their belongings as personal. They shared freely. They had things in common, everything in common. They did this in order to meet needs. This is what community looks like. Now, can I just tell you something? This is what people today are hungry for. This is what people today are longing for, are searching for, is that type of community. Can you actually be part of a people who are so focused on what God is trying to do that they lose sight of, of, of everything else? Do you know what I read last week? Nearly one in five people in the United States will change their place of residence this year. 20% of our population moves every year. 
Now, I realize that there are people who move from this house to that house. They never leave town. They move from this house to that apartment or that apartment to this house, and they never leave town. But I promise you, there's a good percentage of those people who are relocating to a different state, to a different town, to a different community, or maybe moving from one side of town to the other side of town. And they're putting themselves in a new place, and they are looking for, they're hungering for a place where they can find community. By and large, as a society, we've lost that. People don't know their neighbors. Well, I don't want to take the time to get to know them. They're going to move in a year or two, and somebody else will move in there. That's pretty likely. It probably is going to happen. And because of that, that sense of community has begun to fade, and that is something that the church should be and ought to be offering and freely giving to anyone and everyone who walks through the doors. You see, fellowship creates our sense of community. But I want to tell you something more than that. Fellowship attracts the lost and it binds believers together. When we start loving people openly, whenever we start caring for people openly, when we start ministering to the needs of people without concern about what it's going to cost us or what it's going to involve on our part, when we begin to selflessly pour ourselves out in love to meet needs, to share burdens, to show our concern for other people, it's like a flashing sign to the world. And our world has grown so self-serving, so cynical, and so self-centered. And when they see a people who are living life like that, they say, wow, I want to be a part of something like that. The fellowship of the church promotes the power of Christ to change hearts, to transform lives, to to bind us together with a, a common cause. Now, I'm not talking about the Sunday potluck. Listen, there's nothing wrong with that. You can tell I like to eat. There's nothing wrong with having, having a time of fellowship and being able to come together and share a meal or share some snacks and just visit, catch up with each other. I, I think that's an awesome thing. But we've got to understand that genuine, authentic fellowship, real Christian community draws people in. They want to be part of that. They want to know what is it that enables people to live like that, to love like that. You know the amazing thing about the church? Listen, I've been in ministry for over 40 years now. I want to tell you what I think is so amazing about the church. When the church is truly being the church, no matter what differences we might have, no matter how much we might disagree with each other about certain matters or, or maybe even get after each other a little bit sometimes because of the way someone's behaving or talking or acting, our fellowship in Christ is stronger than anything that would seek to divide us. And that's what was happening in this church. These people were together. It was community. They were stuck together, held together, trying to survive together. Think about it like this. I've been going through the book of Acts on Wednesday nights. And I was thinking about this. I was looking at this passage and I was kind of thinking ahead. Acts chapter 9. Y'all remember the Apostle Paul. He wasn't always the Apostle Paul. He started out as that scoundrel, Saul. All right? He's on his way to Damascus, and he's going there to arrest believers. He's going there to torment them. If he gets to kill some, that's just a bonus. But he's going to put them in chains, bring them back to Jerusalem, and make sure that they get a taste of Jewish justice. But you remember his journey was interrupted. 
Before he got to Damascus, while he was traveling on that road, there was a bright light that appeared, and, and the Lord spoke to him and asked him, why are you doing this? And he I don't even know who you are. Who are I'm the Lord Jesus whom you are persecuting. You remember he was stricken blind? They had, to, they had to get him up, and they had to lead him into town. They took him to a place. They put him there for three days. He prayed. He fasted. We don't know if anybody was coming in or not. We don't know if he's all by himself. But you know what's recorded for us? I can tell you what is recorded for us. In Acts chapter 9, verses 17 and 18, here's what I read. Someone else may have spoken to him, maybe not. But if they did not, at least what is recorded for us is that from the time he was struck blind until the end of that three days when his sight was being restored, the first words he heard was Ananias saying, Brother Saul. Brother. This is the guy who came to arrest Ananias and all the rest of them. Brother Saul, the first person he saw was one of the men he came to get. How easy would it have been for the church in Damascus to say, no way. We know who he is. We know what he's done. We know what he's been a part of. No, sorry, we're not letting him into our house. They could have froze him out, but they didn't. Read the rest of it and you find out they embraced him in Christian fellowship. It was sweet. It was warm. It led him to move from being that scoundrel Saul to that apostle Paul. And you know what happened. The Lord used him, his teachings, his writings, his missions ministry in order to change the world. And it happened because the church embraced him. I often wonder how often it is that people walk through the doors of the church and people to church said, hmm, not dressed right. Don't look right. Didn't drive up in the right vehicle. They don't talk right. And people get frozen out. How many of those people is God planning to use, waiting to use, if the church would embrace them and help them on their way? Let me just tell you something. When witnessing breaks out in the church, there is sweet fellowship. And it includes anybody that walks through the door. No one is rejected. No one is pushed aside. No one is thrown out. No one is ignored. But sweet fellowship's not enough. There's got to be more to it than that. You know, whenever, whenever witnessing breaks out in the church, yes, there's going to be a sweet spirit, and, and it's going to create a sense of fellowship. But more than that, you're also going to see generous service. And, and, and you find that right here. Verse 44 and 45, look at what it says. All the believers were together, had everything in common, selling their possessions and goods. They gave to anyone as they had need. Seeing needs, meeting needs. That's what the church was about. Generous, compassionate service that saw needs and met those needs. Listen, that's a part of our Christian witness. One reason that the church owned things in common was so that they could meet the physical needs of others in the church. But it wasn't just the people in the church. I've had people tell me, well, you know, our responsibility is to take care of each other. That's it. The world is on its own. Uh-uh. No. Are we a people of the book? Do you believe the Word of God? Do you believe we ought to follow the Word of God? Folks, I'm asking for a testimony here. Can I get a witness? Are we supposed to follow the Word of God? 
All right. Look at verse 45. Look at what it says. They gave to anyone as they had need. That doesn't imply just within the church walls. That says we're looking at people and we're seeing needs. And if we've got the means to meet the need, we need to meet that need. I've been in the church and we've had this discussion so many different times in so many different places in so many different ways. Well, you know, it's just a physical need. We need to be more concerned about the spiritual needs of people. Listen, I know about spiritual needs and I know about physical needs and I want you to hear what I'm about to say to you. Sometimes you can't help someone with their spiritual need until you first address their physical need. If a man is starving to death, don't tell him about Jesus. Feed him. Sometimes we lose sight of what makes sense because we think we're sounding spiritual. We're not sounding spiritual. We're sounding cheap. Cheap and spiritual are not the same thing. Look it up. Generous service meets the physical needs of people, but I want you to hear where this leads to. Meeting needs often opens the door for Christian witnessing. You say, what do you mean by that? Can I do an unscientific poll? Are you all ready to raise your hands? Okay. Here we go. How many of y'all received a sales call this week? Show me your hands. How many of you have received a sales call within the last two weeks? The last month? How many of y'all don't have a phone? (laughs) All right, there's my answer now. If you got a phone, the likelihood is that at some point in the last month, you've received a sales call. You pick it up and you say, I don't know that number. Well, let's see. It might be important. Hello? Pause. Right? That's your first giveaway. There's that second pause. And then, hi, this is Stephanie from the call center. (laughs) Bye, Stephanie. How did you respond to your sales call? That's what I did. I don't know what you did with your sales call, but that's how I handled mine. Do you ever get tired of those kind of calls coming? Listen, it's not just you and me. I want you to listen to me. People outside of here, they're constantly bombarded with sales calls. And they turn on their television And they're bombarded with commercials. And they listen to the radio and they keep poking buttons trying to find programming because all they hear is commercials. Everyone is trying to pitch something. Everyone is trying to sell something. Everyone is telling them that it is new, that it is improved, that it's better than it's ever been. Oh, and by the way, you just can't live your life without it. Can I tell you something? Over the last years, decades, now I'm going to say some things that some of you younger people aren't going to understand, okay? Don't Don't lose track. Stay with me. I'll get back to you in a minute. This is the reason that some companies, such as Fuller Brush, Amway, and several vacuum cleaner companies used to come into homes and do demonstrations. Do you know why they, I know y'all have never seen or heard anything like that. You're saying, what in the world is he talking about? People actually let strangers in their house? Yes, we did. They would clean our carpet. We would let them in every day of the week if they would clean our carpet. (laughs) 
Here's what they understood that made their business models successful. If we can show people that what we're offering them really works, they'll buy it. They need a demonstration that this is the real deal. And folks, let me tell you something about being a Christian witness. If you walk out of here today and you go out and you live the next five days in your workplace, in your circle of friends, in your neighborhood, and you cover your ears, youngsters, and you just live like hell. And then you try to tell somebody about Jesus, they're not going to listen to you. All right? They want to see a demonstration. They want to see that this is for real. They want to see that this actually makes life work. They want to know that it's changed you, that it's changed the way you do business, that it's changed the way you're a husband or the the way you're a wife. They want to see that it is authentic. When they look at the church, they see us fighting, they see us arguing, they see us bickering. They're not going to hear what we got to say about Jesus. They want to see people who are in sweet fellowship. They want to see people that love each other and care about each other and are meeting the needs not only in the walls, but outside the walls. They want to see a demonstration that it really does work. Can I just tell you something? All I'm saying is we need to be living like Jesus. What did Jesus do? He healed the sick. He fed the hungry. He cared for the poor. He even, he even picked up a towel and poured some water in a basin and got down on his own knees and washed the feet of his disciples. They saw a demonstration of how to serve. Sweet fellowship. Generous service. I can't tell you about what happens when witnessing breaks out in the church without concluding at this place. Because you see, after those two things happen, it has to be followed by faithful proclamation. You say, well, that's not in this text. Oh, really? Take a look at verses 46 and 47. Every day they continued to meet together in the temple course. You know what they're doing? They're having church. They're coming together. They're having church. They broke bread in their homes. What are they doing? They're going and having, sharing a meal after church. Now, some of y'all are waiting for that right now. And they ate together with glad and sincere hearts, praising God and enjoying the favor of all the people. Listen, nobody complains when you go to church. Nobody complains when the church gets together and acts like the church and does church and treats people the right way and loves on people and serves people. Nobody complains about that. They were enjoying favor with all the people. Oh, and by the way, the Lord added to their number daily those who were being saved. Those people didn't just get saved. Somebody told them about Jesus. Somebody told them about Jesus. Let me tell you what's happening in these two verses. The church is being the church. When we live life together the way we're supposed to, the way that God has called us to, the way that the church ought to, we enjoy all the benefits of Christ. And people look and say, wow, 
I'm not sure exactly what they got or how they got it, but I want some of that. Peter preached the gospel at Pentecost. He faithfully proclaimed the life, the work of Jesus, how he completed that work by dying on a cross, being buried and resurrected, and and telling people, he will change your life. He can do it. He will do it. And guess what? He did it. About 3,000 people were saved on that one day. The fellowship was sweet. They worshiped together. They, They shared meals together. They spent time together in the name of Jesus. And such living, church family, listen to me, such living creates opportunities to share Jesus. Luke points out they were enjoying the favor of all the people. No one could find any fault in what they were doing, the way they were living, the way they were worshiping together. And that gave them freedom to tell people why they were filled with joy, why they were praising God, what Jesus had done and what Jesus was doing in their lives and what Jesus could and would and wanted to do in everyone's life. To be a witnessing church requires more than just living a lifestyle. just got quiet, didn't it? Being a witnessing church requires more than just a lifestyle. It calls for a spoken message, a verbal proclamation. We must tell people about Jesus. Listen, We can't communicate the vicarious atoning death of Jesus and his resurrection by simply being good. So please, for your sake and mine, do not tell me, well, I'm just living my witness. I will probably say something I shouldn't because I can still talk even when I'm biting my tongue. They say, well, pastor, you don't understand. I'm not good with words. Neither was Moses. But God used him in a mighty way. Listen, if it's all about us just being good, living our witnesses, I want you to understand what that does. That puts too much emphasis on us and not enough emphasis on Jesus. For years in our family, we have laughed because I have one niece that's just, well, she's nuts. Every family's got some people who are nuts in it. But I remember her one time saying, Uncle Tim, you put the emphasis on the wrong syllable. I want you to know something. Whenever we make it more about us than we make it about Jesus, we have put the emphasis on the wrong syllable. It doesn't need to be about us. It needs to be about Him always. They lived life joyfully in Jesus. They proclaimed the gospel faithfully. How do you know that? Because the Lord added to their number daily those who were being saved. Oh, friends, listen to me. We have been called to minister to a world, to love everyone, not just those who are on our side, but even our enemies. 
And I want you to know that, that a witnessing church finds joy, finds satisfaction, finds fulfillment in carrying out the great commission of the Lord. I hope you've seen this morning that witnessing is going to include all of these elements. Sweet fellowship. Man, when you start sharing Jesus and it gets to be where it's all about Him, you can't do anything but just love each other. It includes sweet fellowship, generous service, faithful proclamation. Most people want the first two. But they run and hide when you start talking about the third. People want to be part of a, a church that has a sweet fellowship. I mean, everybody's loved, everybody's taken care of, everybody's needs are met, everybody is hugged on and, 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 and sweeted over. And, and we just, man, we all want to be part of that. And we all want to be part of that generous church where if there's a need, it's going to be met. Everybody's going to step up. Everybody's going to do their part. Man, talking about Jesus, that's... Friends, can I tell you something? You're not talking about Jesus. The other two things aren't going to happen. I want you to listen to me. I want us to have sweet fellowship. I want us to live life together. I want us to have a genuine sense of community in Christ. I pray that we will be a generous people. Understanding how God has blessed us and he has given to us far more than we deserve. He has blessed us abundantly. And I pray that we will engage in generous service that meets needs and touches lives in Jesus' name. I want us to have sweet fellowship. I pray that we will be a generous people. But we must be a people who faithfully proclaim the gospel message. People need to hear about forgiveness. They need to hear about redemption. They need to understand about salvation. They need to know that life they're searching for, the life they long for, the life they're hungry for, the life they want is only found in Jesus Christ. Man, listen, when a church starts witnessing, you start sharing Jesus with people. I don't care how you do it. I don't care where you do it. We all go to different places. We all move in different circles. We all have different opportunities. Sometimes we create opportunities and, and beg people to come and serve alongside us and help and be a part. But I want you to know, when the church begins to witness fellowship and service and proclamation, that's what happens. That's what happens when witnessing breaks out in the church. Witnessing. It's simply telling what you know. In the case of an automobile accident, it's what you saw. In the case of Christian living, it's what you experienced. It's what Jesus did in your life. What he did in your heart. What he did in your home, in your family, in your workplace. What, what he has done in you and through you. We're called to be witnesses. In the courtroom of heaven, if God calls you to the front and says, will you tell the truth? 
the whole truth and nothing but the truth. So help me, me. Are you ready? Are you ready? You cannot be a witness to that which you do not know. So if you're here this morning and you don't have a personal relationship with Jesus, if you're here and you say, I don't know that he's my Lord and Savior. I I don't know that I'm saved. I don't know what it is to have my heart or my life changed from the inside out. Let me be a witness to you. I can tell you this from personal experience. God loves you. He loved me when I was unlovely. He called me when I didn't deserve to be called. He forgave me when there was nothing in me that deserved forgiveness. When he did that, he made me a new creation. He gave me a new life. He made me into something I would never have been. And people say, but Tim, you were saved when you were young. Yes, I am. He saved me from what I would have become if I had been left to my own devices. And he'll do the same for you. Oh, but by the way, I want you to know something. He's not going to save you just so you can sit and soak and sour. If he saves you, he's got a purpose for your life. He saved me and then he called me and said, I want you to preach the gospel. I try. I do my best. Sometimes I think I'm a failure. But with his help, I'm going to keep going. And friend, he may call you. Say, wait a minute. God's going to call me to preach. I'm out. He may not call you to preach. He may call you simply to be a solid witness in your workplace. He may call you to share about Jesus with someone in your family who needs to hear. He may lead you to a neighbor across the street or he may engage you with a conversation across the back fence. But he has a plan for you and he will use you if you're his and you'll make yourself available. You don't know him, you want to know him, I'd love to meet with you. I'd love to share with you. I'd love to show you from the word of God how you can become a child of God today. Maybe you're sitting here and you're saying, you know what, I am his child. I, I, I asked his forgiveness a long time ago and I know he forgave me. I, I experienced that. I, I was born again, but I've never gone any further than that. Okay, what do you need to do? Are you ready to take some first steps? Maybe you need to follow the Lord in believer's baptism. Maybe you need to get connected to the bride of Christ. That's the reason the church is here, so that we can be connected to each other and have that sense of community together. Maybe he's calling you to this place. Maybe he's not. If he's not, please don't come. Please, I'll help you find your place. I'll work with you to help you find the place where you feel comfortable and where you know that God is leading you. But if this is where he's leading you, I encourage you. I invite you. Come, be a part of this fellowship. Over the last decade, I've read so many articles about churches dying. I'm sick of it. Smarter people than me are trying to figure out, what's going on? Why are we closing the doors of 1,700 churches every year? Why are churches dying? It's simple. It's simple, folks. They're sitting around and they're waiting for witnessing to break out in the church. And it's never going to break out until somebody stands up and says, I'm going to tell somebody about Jesus.
So brothers and sisters, are you ready to stand up and tell somebody about Jesus? If everyone who is in this room right now who would say, I am a born-again believer in Jesus Christ. I am a follower of Jesus. I am a disciple. If everyone in this room would say, you know what? Between now and the end of this year, I'm going to share my faith with somebody. And then did it. That's the key. It's not saying I'm going to. It's, it's and did it. Where's John? John, how many people we got in this room? Two hundred sixty people. Two hundred sixty people. Lauren, what's the normal percentage on horseshoe ministry? We share the gospel two hundred sixty times. How many people are going to come to know Christ? Just average. Twenty percent, give or take. Okay, I'd have said ten or twelve percent. I'll take your 20. I'm all about it. Let's say it's 20%. Let's say it's 10%. Let's just go low. All right? Let's go low. Let's say it's 10%. If the 260 people in here would share the gospel with one person between now and the end of the year and that percentage held up, wouldn't it be awesome to see 26 people profess their faith in Jesus Christ in this room between now and the end of the year? Well, then what in the world are we waiting on? It seems to me it's time. It's past time. Heaven's getting full. Hell's fuller. We can make a difference. If we'll just let witnessing break out in the church. Let's bow our heads together. In just a moment, we're going to stand together and sing a song of invitation, a song of commitment. Not because I want to stretch this thing out or make it longer or make it uncomfortable, but because I want to give you an opportunity to respond. Not to me, to God, to His Word, to His Spirit. Maybe this morning He's spoken to you. Maybe He's speaking to you. Maybe today you're saying, I need a relationship with Jesus. Awesome. Man, I want to tell you something. When we stand in a moment and begin to sing, would you just come and take me by the hand and say, Preacher, I want that relationship. I will not embarrass you. I will not put you on the spot. But we would love to share with you from the Word of God how you can be a child of God today. Maybe you've already surrendered your heart to Him, but you need to take some steps. Maybe you need to follow the Lord in believer's baptism. Maybe you need to unite with the body of Christ. Maybe you need to find a way to get connected and engaged in ministry. Let us help you. Maybe you're my brother and sister. Maybe you're a part of this body of believers already. But you're saying, you know what? I'm that one you're talking about. I was saved and I've just come to sit and soak. Maybe God's placed something on your heart, someone on your heart. This morning you know you need to take action. Let us help you. Maybe God just placed somebody's name in your mind. Let me just challenge you this week. This week. Not, not by the end of the year. This week. This week. Try to get in touch with that person. Get in touch with that person. Engage them in a conversation. Share with them what Jesus has done in your life. And see what he might do in theirs. It's really not that hard, folks.
but it will change your life. It will change the church. And it just might change the eternal destiny of someone that you know and love. Would you let him have his way in your life? That's where it starts, between you and him. Then it goes out. Let him have his way. Father, I thank you this morning for your word. Lord, how challenging it is for us sometimes to be obedient, to follow. We, we want to do things our way. We want to do things on our own timetable. We want to do things in a way that's comfortable to us. And yet you keep calling, you keep challenging, you keep leading us to step out of our comfort zone, to go to that person, to surrender our lives, to be used by you. Father, I pray this morning that in this place, in this room, hearts be surrendered. Father, if there's someone here who doesn't know you, I'm confident there is. I pray that your spirit would draw them, convict them of sin, convince them of the Savior. Help them to understand that all they've hungered for, all they're longing for, what they came here searching for is to be found in Jesus Christ. Father, I pray for our church family. And we would understand that if we want to have that sweet fellowship, if we want to be that generous congregation, we've got to let witnessing break out here. We, we've got to become the speakers, the messengers, the tellers of the good news. Father, I look across this room, I see faces, I see people, you see hearts. You know every situation, every need, and what you desire to do in every person. So I pray, Father, right now, have your way. Accomplish what you will. Bring glory to yourself. And we pray this in Jesus' name. Amen.